0: I will be reading from Luke 10 25 to 37 on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life what is written in the law he replied how do you read it he answered love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind And love your neighbor as yourself you've answered correctly Jesus replied do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus and who is my neighbor in reply Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers they stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away leaving him half dead brought him up into an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Grace. Uh, We begin a new series today called The Law of Jesus. Now, before the law of Jesus, there was another law, the law of Moses, and some have portrayed the law of Moses as bad and the law of Jesus as good, and that is not the case. In fact, the apostle Paul says to the the church at Rome in chapter seven of his letter to them, the law is, and that's the law of Moses he's talking about, the law is good and holy. After all, it comes from a God who is good and holy, and so that's exactly what we would expect. In another letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, we get help understanding the difference between the law of Moses and the law of Jesus. The law of Moses, Paul says, served a specific role, a necessary role, but only until Christ came. Here's what he says, Galatians 3, 23 to 25. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, and we can think nanny, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So the law of Moses externally told us how to live, how to walk, what to do, what not to do. And Paul says that was like a prison guard. It held us captive. It was like a nanny would slap our wrist when we needed that. The law of Moses showed us what was required. It showed us God, which is needed. That's good but it couldn't get us to him. In the end, it was a sobering reminder of our failure to do what God requires. Was it good? Was it true? Was it beautiful? Yes, the law is all those things. The law of Moses, all those things, but it couldn't change us from the inside out. It couldn't redeem us. It couldn't renew us couldn't give us a new heart. It couldn't help us love God and neighbor. In the law of Moses, God says, uh, you shall, you shall, you shall. And if we're honest, we reply, but I can't, I can't, I can't. But the law of Jesus is, is Very different. The law of Jesus is the law of the spirit that the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8 sets us free from the law of sin and death. The law of Jesus is the law of liberty. The law of Jesus is the law of love. Love for who? God and neighbor. Which neighbor? Wrong question, as we'll see this morning. Now earlier in Luke's Gospel chapter 9, we read that Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem, and as they went along, Jesus sent messengers ahead of him to uh, make lodging uh, arrangements for them, to prepare for their coming. But the people of the village, the Samaritan village, in, in Luke 9:53, it says, "They didn't receive him." Do you remember what the disciples James and John wanted to do because of this rejection? Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven, Lord, and consume them? What did Jesus do when they made this uh, request? He rebuked them. He rebukes his disciples in, in Luke 9. In Luke 10, he rebukes this lawyer that he engages with. Just before we hear the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, we might think all rebukes are bad, but they're not. When Jesus rebukes, there's an invitation. There's an opportunity that comes from his kindness to turn and be changed. Samaritans, uh, they were other than the Jews. They were different. And because of these differences, they were less than in the minds of James and John in Luke 9, in the mind of our lawyer friend in Luke 10. But what the gospel of Jesus says is that all nations, all peoples, without exception, are the object of God's mercy. And therefore, they should be the object of our love as the people of God. James and John didn't see the Samaritans as their neighbor. And so their response was, kill them. The lawyer in Luke 10 didn't see the Samaritan as his neighbor either. Jesus flips things upside down, as he often does. And by the end of this parable, we see that he's taken the lawyer's question and put it back to him in a new form. He totally transforms it. The lawyer says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, that's not really the question. Are you a neighbor? Can you see past your prejudice and be there for anyone who's made in God's image anytime there's a need? There's two parts to the uh, the passage this morning, verses 25 to 37, and they parallel each other. The first part, I've called the neighbor I can love, verses 25 to 28, because it's here that the lawyer is trying to define neighbor in a way that, that suits him. He wants a neighbor he can get his arms around. He wants a neighbor that seems reasonable for him to love. He wants a neighbor just like him. The second part, verses 29 to 37, Jesus raises the stakes and says, listen, it's not about identifying your neighbor, but are you a good neighbor? The second part I've called the neighbor I must be. So the neighbor I can love and the neighbor I must be. We'll start with the neighbor I can love, verses 25 to 28. Luke tells us that this man, verse 25, is a lawyer. Uh, he's called a scribe in other contexts. This is someone who's trained in the Jewish law and in the traditions. He's an expert. He's asking this question. We read again also in verse 25, to test or to trap Jesus. He certainly uh, thinks he already knows the answer to his question. It's not a sincere question. This is nothing new for Jesus. The religious leaders of the day, they would often pit him against Moses, Jesus against the law. They're always trying to catch him in a contradiction, show him to be a lawbreaker, disobedient to God, trying to discredit him. That's this man's motive as well. That's what's in his heart when he asks, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Again, he thinks he knows. Jesus answers him, but he does so with his own question. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And and notice Jesus says, what is written in the law and how do you read it? He's being very specific about the written word of God. And that's because there were a lot of oral traditions floating around at the time. And some Jewish teachers would interpret the scriptures and they would take their own comments about the the scriptures. So the word of God and what we think about the word of God and all this got kind of mixed up. This is what Jesus calls the traditions of man. And he would often, they would take these traditions of men and and throw them as heavy burdens on people and, and equate them with the word of God. Say, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. God says when God never said. Jesus knows this happens. He's careful, careful with this question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, what's on the page? What does the Bible say? Well, the lawyer answers, and guess what? He's exactly right. Verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. This little thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you will live. We would hope, being in the presence of the Son of God, that this man would see how impossible this is. He would fall on his knees, cry out to Jesus for mercy, but he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't acknowledge that he's poor before God, that he's spiritually bankrupt, Apparently, he still thinks he's pretty righteous. Remember, he's not asking Jesus a legitimate question. He's not really seeking truth. He thought he loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. After all, he's a scribe. And he loved his neighbor. He was certain. But neighbor in his mind was really narrowly defined. Before we're too harsh with him, consider what he would have been taught about neighbor from his youth. Up until this point when Jesus came on the scene, a neighbor would refer to a fellow Jew. That's confirmed by the commandment to love one's neighbor in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.18, which the lawyer refers to in, in verse 27 of Luke chapter 10, it's preceded by statements in Leviticus how an Israelite is to treat a fellow Israelite. So Moses says there, Leviticus 19, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Right? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus, he knows this is what is written in the law of Moses. He invites this man to see life from the perspective of the new covenant, the covenant he came to bring. He's challenging this man's definition of neighbor. He's challenging him to see the command, love your neighbor through the lens of Jesus, the Messiah. This is a rebuke. This is an opportunity to grow, and it is good. Can you see things differently because of your encounter with me? He's asking the lawyer. Can you hear my, you've heard it said, but I say to you with reference to your understanding of neighbor? This man wants to stick with the neighbor he can love. But Jesus challenges him instead to think about the neighbor. He must be. And it's not just the lawyer Jesus challenges today. It's each of us. He challenges each of us about the neighbor you must be and the neighbor I must be. Like the first round of conversation, we're told the motive of this man in verse 29 when he gets on for a a second round with Jesus His original question was to test Jesus. Now this question is equally off the mark. Verse 29, he is desiring to justify himself, we read. He's standing in his own righteousness, knows the scriptures, believes himself to be in the right, and this is the posture of his heart to justify himself when he asks in verse 29, and who is my neighbor? Again, he's a scribe who knows the Old Testament. He knows, or at least thinks he knows, the answer already. It's not a sincere search for truth. He's testing Jesus. He's using the Word of God to justify himself. What a danger, friends. Let us be careful to avoid that temptation in our life. In his mind, he's thinking, well, of course I know who my neighbor is. He's my fellow Jew. And I love him, got it. Well, he doesn't, got it. And Jesus makes that clear in the telling of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Listen as I read uh, Luke 10, verses 30 to 37. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on by on the other side. But then the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said to him, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Just like James and John, just like the Jews of the day, This lawyer believed that Jews were good and worthy and rightful recipients of God's mercy, but not anyone else. Certainly not half-breed idolaters like the Samaritans. That is how Samaritans were viewed by Jews, but not by Jesus. This man, this lawyer, wanted to justify his limited love, his love only for his own people. And he wanted to believe that that's all that God required of him. But Jesus doesn't let him get away with it. Jesus imagines in this parable two very pious, highly respected Jews, a Levite and a priest. Two men that were known to be very high on the love God and neighbor scale in their day. And in the story, he tells how they both avoid this man in need. Someone who's beat up and left for dead in the road. They avoid him. They ignore him. They walk on the other side. But someone stops to help. A Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? The lawyer asks. Anyone in need, Jesus says. And by the way, I know you didn't ask, but the kind of neighbor you need to be is like the Samaritan in this parable. The hero of the parable, the one who proved to be a good neighbor, a faithful lover of others, is a Samaritan. So the one who exemplified obedience to God, the Samaritan. The ones who exemplified disobedience to God, of all people, a priest and a Levite. This is exactly the kind of teaching that got Jesus in trouble with the religious establishment of his day. But he doesn't care. Truth is more important than public opinion. After Jesus finishes this totally shocking parable, he asks the lawyer, as we just heard, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And I just imagine him looking down, maybe being pretty, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus come again? The one who showed him mercy, Lord. Teacher, rabbi, the one who showed him mercy. You got me. Jesus, he has this man where he wants him. The point of the story is undeniable. Who's my neighbor is the wrong question, friends. Because there's an assumed limitation from the very beginning. Which people, which type of people qualify as my neighbor? I will love them. I will care for them. I will defend them. Jesus' reply instead is, what kind of person are you? Are you one who loves liberally? Are you one who shows compassion? Are you a good neighbor? See, Jesus he doesn't play around. He's not just there to chit-chat. He gets to the heart of this man, showing him what's inside, revealing that he does not love God and neighbor like he thinks he does. Jesus ends this section with a command similar to the first one uh, that he gave in verse 28. There, Jesus said, do this and you'll live. You know, love God and neighbor. Do this and you'll live. Here, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Likewise. You, verse 37, go and do likewise. Just like the Samaritan showed mercy, you go show mercy. Be like the Samaritan in this story. Jesus doesn't make it easy, does he? He doesn't say to the lawyer, just try a little harder. Uh, Maybe you can just extend your definition of neighbor a little bit more. Bring a few more people in. No, Jesus goes deep right to the heart to to highlight the prejudices and hatred that that is there, to show this man just how bankrupt before God he is. A a great quote. I don't recall who said it, but they said it well. Jesus' use of the parable is intended to humble the righteousness of man with the unattainable love that God requires so that he will see his need and be willing to receive the inexpressible love that God offers. Let's not forget that the parable of the Good Samaritan is in response to a question way back in verse 25. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' answer, you look at the law of Moses and you say, I can't, and then you shift and you look at the law of Jesus and you say, yes, please. I I would like that law. I would like that love. I want the inexpressible love you offer God. That's it. But then there's still this question, how do you know? How do you know Maybe some of you are wondering that. How do I know if I've received God's love? How do I know if I have a new heart? How do I know if I'm one who has inherited eternal life? One way is that your heart will break when you see injustices. That's one way you'll know. Your heart will break when you see injustices. When you hear the name George Floyd, you won't think, here we go again, or can't we just move on? Can't we just get back to normal? But instead, your heart will be in anguish and and you'll think, how could this happen? What a horrible, unwarranted abuse of power. How evil, this murder, your heart will cry out, God, help those who've been living with oppression for so long. And God, use my life wherever I can help, whatever I can do, whatever I can give, what I can say, what I, what I, where I can be silent and just <laughs> grieve with others, where I can pray, where I can protest, Let me speak up and show up for others when they need support. Help me to love you, God, and my neighbor as myself. Help me to obey your word, your word, this book, your Bible. I've been thinking a lot about the Bible this week, what it is, how we read it, What it stands for, people of grace, this is something we really need to pay attention to during this time, to ask God for humble hearts, to hear and obey his word, to be shown where we've been wrong. The Bible has been misused to support slavery and the Holocaust and misogyny, All kinds of abuses. There was another example of a great misuse of the Bible this past week. Friends, this is not a prop. God will not deal kindly with those who use him or his word to accomplish their own purposes. And that goes for each one of us. We need to hear this for ourselves. Let's be very careful to be supporting God's agenda instead of assuming or expecting that he supports ours. We don't set the standard for what's good and pleasing to God. God does. From the Old Testament prophet Micah chapter 6 verse 8, hear the word of the Lord. He has told you, O man, What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This passage from Micah has been running through my mind all week. What does it take to be this kind of people? How can we, not just today or tomorrow or until this present outrage has quieted down, how can we be the kind of people who are marked by doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God? How? I I, I don't know, but I know where it starts with God and with the confession of our own sins. We need to let go of our defenses. We need to let go of the hatred in our hearts. We need to release our need to be right. We need to cast off any commitments, political or otherwise, that keep us from obeying God and seeking justice for the vulnerable. We need to cry out to God, confessing our sins and asking him to renew us so let's do that now let's pray together this prayer most merciful God we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we've left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might walk in your that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, to the glory of your name. Amen.